Hey everyone, welcome back to F&B, the food and beverage podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Andrew. And today we talked to Andrew's brother, Joe, who has a ton to say about the industry. So this episode's a little longer, so I think we should just jump right into it. Yeah, that's a great idea. We really should just jump into it. All right, so here's Joe. So today on F&B, we got Joe, my brother. He came here to talk to us about his experiences in the food and beverage industry. Rachel's also here with me. Hi, Joe. Hey, thank you for having me. Good morning. It's July 12th, and it's about 105 with humidity here in Arizona, so it's pretty much uh, beautiful, yeah. Yeah, Andrew specifically said yesterday we're not allowed to leave the apartment the entire weekend because it's so hot. Well, I'm running the AC also at 75, and you know I don't love to do that, so. I know, it's too expensive, apparently. 100%. I don't think anyone cares about our AC usage, though. Well, they do because we're in Arizona, and everyone cares about Arizona, being that it's the greatest state in the union gotta, gotta get it in every episode gotta get it in anyway so the reason why we ride joe on today is because joe's been in the industry since well how old were you when you first started your first restaurant job joe all right so i always tell people i've been working in restaurants for usually about 15 years i would say so that goes since i was about 17 i'm 32 now so yeah i've been doing it for about 15 years my first job actually well let me start with the beginning actually let's Let's start from a base point of how I ended up getting into culinary and hospitality. Because culinary actually wasn't my first, or hospitality wasn't my first job. Right, I was actually going to touch on that. I was going to say, your first... My first job was in retail, actually. Right, but it was still a service. It was it still was, in the services yeah, industry. Part of the service industry, for sure. You were working at the Big O. The O-Max, yep. yep. Office Max, that's right. So, I got into culinary because of our mother, actually. So, Andrew knows this all too well. But Teresa and I are actually 11 and a half months apart, so I'm the oldest, then comes my sister, and we grew up watching the original Food Network, which was Channel 8. We had Jacques Pepin and Julia Child and all the greats that used to be on Channel 8, and so we used to watch that, and we're completely fascinated by it, partly because we didn't really have enough money to afford cable, so that was as good as we could get back in the day, but uh, it ended up being a blessing. And Therese in particular took a real liking to Jacques Torres, who's the chocolatier dude that does desserts. And I remember my mom and Teresa in particular always working on things in the kitchen. And it wasn't that I wasn't allowed in the kitchen. It was just kind of like I was always playing Legos or working on projects with dad, carpentry, etc. But I always loved food. I always thought that was really cool and fascinating. And so when I graduated high school... I went and did my prerequisite classes over at Scottsdale Community College to kind of give my parents a break instead of going straight to like a four-year degree college. I decided I was going to go over to SCC and get my prerequisites, prerequisites, let me speak properly, out of the way. So doing my, you know, reading classes, my math classes, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, shortly after, Teresa graduated. She's a year behind me, and she says, I wanted to do culinary school. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to do culinary school. That sounds awesome. Like... So that's how we got into culinary school, and I know you guys have been talking a lot about SEC and being their greatest cheerleader, not only because you graduated from the program, but because of the value and um, how amazing the program actually is. It really speaks for itself. Yeah, no, that 100%, you're totally right about that, because the last guest we had on Evo, he went through the program, and I obviously went through the program, Rachel went through the program, and it's kind of cool that you and Teresa went into it before even I have been thinking about it, I guess. So just for anyone listening that doesn't know what Scottsdale Community College is, SCC is what we refer to it as on the show here, but Scottsdale Community College is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, basically off of Chaparral and the 101. 
and they've got a fantastic program. I can't say enough great things about them. We're the Fighting Artichokes, which is relevant for culinary, not so much the for the entire school. The best mascot ever. <laughs> I have an Artie shirt, and it's my favorite thing in the world. I love him so much. Artie's pretty chill. Um, now he's kind of gotten a little angry. They changed his, his look around a little bit over the years. Yeah, he's got like kind of a mean eye. He's a, he's a mean artichoke. Yeah, it's a fantastic program, and I think you guys touched on this before, that bang for buck, you can't beat it with... All of your tuition, books, knives, basically everything you need to get through and continue with your certificate is a one-year course, two semesters, and it's going to run you in the range of around $6,000, give or take. So, I mean, bang for buck, thats you can't beat that. You're going to come out of school without debt. I'd say that's the most important thing is that a lot of these kids, they go to... I was even looking at a lot of different schools when I was going through my scholarship program, and... It's going to be forty to $80,000, depending on the school you go to. And some of these schools, they get you into school thinking that you're going to be the next Bobby Flay. You're going to be on Food Network like tomorrow making six figures. I think we both know that's not how it works. But. I think everyone knows that when you start at your first job in the industry, if you're lucky, you get to be a prep cook. But most of the time, you got to start out cleaning dishes and work your way up like Evo had to do. Every one of us has had to do, actually. Right. Well, yeah. Standing I mean, sure. room speaking. But anyway... Um, so we definitely want to touch on SCC because you're definitely a big part of the story as it goes on and further on. Right. But I guess the first thing we want to know about is what was your first job in a restaurant? So my first job I ever worked in a restaurant was at a little place called Arriba Mexican Grill. Some people might know it if they're out here in the valley. They've got a few franchise locations valley-wide. That was my first job. It's a Mexican food restaurant. I think I was about 16 or 17 at the time. I guess I was 17 because I worked at Office Max before that and whatnot. So I worked there for a while. I think I only worked there for about six months, to be honest, because it was... Well, I'm not going to sit here and bash on Ariba. Let's just say that there are certain cleanliness practices that I've learned over the years that they weren't practicing at the time, not to mention they didn't have a good management team, and I just didn't feel like the training was well done they kind of threw you to the wolves as we say and you know as well as everyone does that restaurant management changes so frequently so you might have just been there during a bad six-month period and now they could be doing the best well yeah and i think when people talk about turnover too they only think about like servers and bartenders and but it actually goes all the way from the top down and that really boils down to just poor leadership whoever's in charge of Uh, the main operation if they're not doing their part to make sure that there's synergy and promoting within and making sure that everyone's getting the proper training that they need then people just they phase out they're just they don't want to move on there's other places to work there's plenty of hundreds of restaurants yeah so you work there you end up leaving after six months did you have any crazy stories that happened or any like people that you met that really like shaped your career yeah well actually one of my favorite stories to share is one of the stories i share in my classroom and we'll get to this later, but I do teach over at the Culinary College at Scottsdale. But one of my favorite stories to tell is actually the one of when it comes to tray holding. So my students a lot of times are very nervous about carrying trays and dropping the trays. And not to scare them, but if they're new to tray carrying, I do tell them, I'm like, inevitably, one of these days, you're going to drop a tray. Hopefully it's not as bad as my situation, and that's the story I'm about to share right now. But you probably will end up dropping a tray in your lifetime. Or at least a plate will slide off or something. Something will happen, inevitably, yeah. So for me, what ended up happening is I was very new to the restaurant business. This is before culinary school. I really didn't have a lot of experience in hospitality at all. And at Ariba, they used to have these very large tray holders or trays that you could put all your plates on. 
And then they would also do their plates. They had these really high temp ceramic plates that they would put through a rotating salamander. So for those that may not understand what I'm talking about, it's basically like a double-sided heat element that has a rotating tray that you put the plate on and it's a conveyor and it goes through and it makes sure that the cheese is all melted. I'm sure all of you have been to a Mexican restaurant and you're like, wow, how did they get the cheese to melt so well? And the sizzling fajitas and the, all that other exactly. stuff. Yeah. They put this thing through this rotating salamander is what I'm going to call it, but it probably has a more specific name, but regardless. Anyways, they bring out all these plates and these plates, since they have to be temperature tolerant, they're wicked heavy. So I was going to say, I think a lot of people that have been to Mexican restaurants, whether they've noticed it or not, the plates are very heavy. They're very heavy and they're very hot. And they always remind you of that when they drop the, the food. Like, right. careful, caliente, it's very hot. You know, like, okay. So anyways, we had this expediter that was probably about six foot three. He was a tall dude, real lanky, Hispanic dude. You could totally tell that he had worked in either at this restaurant or in restaurants for a long time. He'd actually hold these trays that were wicked heavy with the tips of his finger. And he would just walk through a dining room, just quickly drop everything down. But in this case, my manager wanted me to get learned on how to properly carry a tray. So I picked up this tray with these steaming hot plates, and it was probably about five or six plates. It was way too heavy. I shouldn't have been carrying it, especially since I had never really done this before. And I remember going to the table and trying to set my tray stand down or my tray jack to hold my tray. And it didn't open up properly. And then next thing I knew, the tray with all the food came... Well, here, hold on. Before it came cascading down, the reason it came cascading down is I was putting my tray stand down and these plates are scolding hot and one of them touched my neck. <laughs> oh, no. So when it touched my <laughs> neck, I immediately like freaked out and all of the food came sliding forward down onto the table. And I want you to imagine like a booth with three people on so either side. it's like a side. waterfall of food it onto the guests. It was a waterfall of food and fire and heat. <laughs> and no. it ruined the entire table. All the food went all over the guests. Oh, they no. were burnt. Um, oh, my God. Wait, like they physically were, burnt? Well, the like the beans and stuff. Yeah, oh they my like, God. got on them and burned them a little bit. I mean, it wasn't enough to like cause serious harm. But right, call an ambulance. Bad. Oh, my God. It was really bad. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> that's not the worst part of the story. Oh, you shit. would think that's the worst part of the story. So we cleaned them up and we reified <laughs> their food and my manager made me finish the table. They made me come back and reserve and retake care of you the table. You didn't drop it on them again, did you? No, I did not okay. take no, <laughs> I didn't drop it on them again, but it was humiliating already, right? And then he's like, "Well, you got to get out there and finish the job." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I don't ever want to show my face here again. <laughs> like I just ruined my entire service night." So anyways, yeah, I uh that was a pretty traumatic moment for me but i guess you can't go anywhere but up from that i mean if you spill a bunch of food that on sizzling hot plates and potentially burn your customer and then you never really have to worry about if you're going to drop a plate again if you drop it on the floor like that's a that's a godsend compared to what happened to me so right nothing to worry about i think everyone's got a story like that i remember at my first job at the country club i was carrying a, a beverage tray that a lot of the servers hold right and i was just finishing up putting down all four water glasses in the last one gravity just took it and it spilled all over this lady that was sitting there yep. and she was just she was really cool but i was mortified i wanted to like dig a hole and go bury myself alive in it pretty much that's how you feel so my story was my first day working at the coffee shop i was supposed to change the creamers which were like out where the customers are and i accidentally bumped into a lady who had just taken the lid off of her coffee so she spilled her hot coffee 
all over herself and I felt so awful and I was like thank god it's the end of my shift because I just want to like go home and cry it was so awful yeah that's that's pretty bad so you kind of get thrown to the wolves at your first job and in a way that's probably the best way to learn it was but I will tell you that um being that was my first restaurant job I wasn't really enchanted by it that's not really what got me into restaurants to be honest I I kind of did it because it was a job and I wanted the experience but because of the lack of leadership and the lack of training and what I thought was kind of poor hygiene, uh, safety and sanitation habits that I noticed over there. And this is long before I was educated. I just noticed things. I'm like, that probably shouldn't be like that. That kind of turned me off a little bit. So I was working there. And then Teresa actually right behind me again started working at the Herb Box. There's this restaurant called the Herb Box. And it was very like an Epicurean kind of Nouveau, it was very modern for its day, let's put it that way. They did artisan sandwiches and like fresh sweet potato chips every morning they would fry and they did all these kind of crazy things, soups and salads and so it was kind of exciting and then the restaurant was very, very modern. It had that shabby chic look before that was even popular. I feel like they kind of started the the patio thing that's really popular now too. Like everybody enjoyed sitting on a patio, but they had like the greenery on the patio and all that kind of stuff that made it look so like Instagrammy. Yeah, it was very Instagrammy before even anyone even knew what Instagram was, to be honest. Right, and I was gonna say they there's a local conglomerate, if you will, around here, <laughs> Fox Restaurant Concepts. Yes, and I would say that they were before their time yes. because that's all Fox does nowadays. Is you know restaurants like that. So super exciting stuff. But anyway, so you start working there. Why why did you want to work there? Was it because Teresa could get you a job? It was easy in. Uh, well, I was already working at Ariba at the time, and then Teresa had got her job there, and she told me that it was a very small staff. There was maybe like three or four servers in a given day, uh, and they had you know their their main restaurant manager, and then they had a chef, and they had like a sous chef. So I'd say less than a dozen people working on property, and it was a small property. It's not like they needed a lot of people there. Uh, but she just said it's really good money, and I think you'd really like the food and what they're doing here, so you should come check it out. So I did, so I interviewed... Um, there was this really nice woman named Robin who we're still friends with to this day. And Robin actually took a liking to me just like she took a liking to Teresa, gave me the job immediately. And I I think I don't even think I put my two weeks in over to Reba. Like as soon as I got that job, I'm like, I am out of here. So I'll see you guys later, which unfortunately is what happens to most people in the industry nowadays. And I feel bad for the managers because people just drop restaurants like they're a bad habit. And it's kind of sad because there really should be some protocols and some couth to doing that. So I'm guilty of it too. I can't say that I'm not. But as a manager now, um, I can understand why it's it's not the best way to go. It's kind of disrespectful, no doubt. Right. It was actually super coincidental that the restaurant manager's name was Robin and the GM's name <laughs> was Batman. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Why are you laughing about that? That's such a bad oh, joke. Such a bad joke. So I love this it. This is Andrew trying to live in the mood. A I would bit. hate <laughs> to like deter the conversation, but speaking of just quitting without any notice, I kind of did that once. I don't even know if you remember this, but there was this catering company slash only open for breakfast on the weekends near a gas station by my old house. And I had really wanted to get into like working in a restaurant. And so I like applied to like be a server there and like, oh, yeah, you can start next Saturday. And so I did. 
and it was like this crazy lady like runs the place and she didn't train me at all just like threw me to the wolves and i'm like i've never had a serving job before i don't know what i'm doing and then she told me i had to split all of my tips with her at the end of the day even though she didn't do anything and it was such a weird experience i was like i'm never going back there and then the following saturday she called me and she's like where are you and i was like oh yeah i'm not coming back like bye because it was just crazy when you work for someone like that like i never even got paid for that shift i mean obviously ariba probably deserved maybe a little better than that but yeah i've definitely done that i'm a culprit of that for sure well i'll touch on this later but beyond some of the uh, safety practices and hand basically handling the food and whatnot there was a lot of promiscuity and drinking on the job and there were some things that were very questionable and I was Yikes. young and impressionable at the time so I didn't really know what to think but looking back at it as an adult and as an educator and as somebody that's a hospitality professional they were doing some things that were very very unprofessional and not to put them on blast or anything that was many many years ago so those people are, I'm sure are long gone but uh yeah so it's just one of those things where your whole in my opinion life is a journey so this was part of my journey i had to learn what it was like in that particular restaurant and i had to learn what it was like in this new restaurant so even though the service standards were different they had a different quality of food over the herb box there were still things that i saw over there that i wasn't really happy with so and what's good about that though is um you know i know you guys have touched on this but you know we had our family restaurant for almost seven years and our whole goal when we had our restaurant is to not do it the way that the industry quote-unquote standard has been we wanted to bring it to a new level of standards so that that's why i as much as i i had a lot of bad experiences they were necessary for me to grow and to be able to understand what you should and shouldn't do in this industry and really giving dignity back to the restaurant and to your guests i mean that's the most important thing and it starts really with the food but it also has to do with the ability to communicate with you know other human beings and show them that you know not only do I love my craft and I love the food that I'm making, but I also want to show you love. And I hope you can get the trifecta on that once you've visited our restaurant or whatever that is. So we'll get into more of that once I start talking more about my culinary education career. But So yeah, those are my first two jobs. Herb Box, I made about two or $300 on a weekend in cash. So I immediately loved that job. And I'd only work on the weekends because I was still in high school at the time. And that's plenty of money. That worked out real nice for me, yeah. 500 bucks a weekend? I mean, perfect. Yeah. With your yeah, hours and everything. Did you have any crazy stories that happened there? Any life lessons there? I know you met some really good people. I know, I think, did you sell your first car to one of the guys that worked I there? I sold one of my cars, yeah, to um, Robert. Yeah, my boy Robert. And I, his last name escapes me, not because I've forgotten about you, Robert, but just confidentiality rules in place, but... Uh, yeah, uh, Robert was a great dude. He really looked out for me, took me under his wing when I was working there. And that's the other thing that I think we don't talk about enough is that there's always somebody that kind of is your advocate that kind of encourages you to want to stay in this industry because there's a lot of reasons not to stay in the industry. If, and I could talk more about that than I could about the stuff that's good, unfortunately, because that's just the way this industry is. But if you do have somebody that either it's a customer or it's somebody that you work with. So you meet this Robert guy. He kind of he's like a mentor to you in a way. It sounds like. Yeah, he was just a good dude. You know, he really helped me out and made sure that. Yeah, I think the hardest thing as a server too is a lot of jobs in the restaurant industry. You're gonna find that you don't have a lot of bussing support 
as much as you know you see a lot of restaurants that have it there's certain places like when i go to yard house for example i always know there's going to be a busser present or if i go to certain mexican food restaurants there's usually a, a busing staff which is really nice but a lot of the restaurants i've worked at there was no busser you were the busser you had to take care of your table from start to finish so that was one of the nice things about robert is not only was he one of the restaurant managers but he'd also lead by example he'd come out and check on the guests and help clear your table when it needed to be cleared and bring food out when it needed to be brought out so that was kind of encouraging to me i'm like wow that's really kind of cool and you know the way he would explain it is that's just being a good manager that's what you do you help your staff out you work with them side by side so again some good life lessons there i only probably worked there for about a year I remember something happened in regards to our pay. They were already paying us something pretty ridiculous. I think it was like seven fifty to eight dollars an hour plus our tips, and we were making a tremendous amount in tip money. That's really good for it a was, server. It was really good. Un- unfortunate thing of it all was that the management started to get a little greedy. They saw that we were making a tremendous amount in tip money, and they thought they were paying us too much because we were being offset by the tip money because they were a popular restaurant, and they decided that they were going to cut our pay in half. So they could save more money. Right, down to the minimum server's wage. And I think Arizona has got two different wages. You have your minimum wage and then you have your service wage or whatever. Yeah, I think back then it was like $5 and, or not even, it was like $3.95 an hour. I was going to say, it's usually pretty low. I All I remember is I they cut our pay in half, which I thought was pretty messed up. They didn't really give us any kind of formal warning about it. They just did it. Then they came out and explained why they had done that to our pay period. Uh, and our paychecks and then what ended up happening is they had a logistical issue on their end and they continued to pay us at our same rate and then what they decided to do is since they had overpaid us that they were going to try and subsidize and subtract that money from our current paychecks in the future at the time i was already getting ready to leave because i had another opportunity and they basically put me into collections because of their error they wanted to try and take that last hundred dollars off of me that they apparently overpaid me and it was their fault so stuff like that um that really puts things in perspective as to you know where your heart's really at in a restaurant and how how well you want to take care of your people you start taking their money away and then you make it petty and try and collect on them on a mistake that you had made that's just not cool so i think that's the main reason why you and Teresa both left that job i thought we did is because management was changing and they were changing everything and then they like get rid of even like robert and other people like that started leaving they didn't necessarily get rid of people they just started leaving on their own so that's kind of when the turnover started and then i remember that Teresa actually ended up getting a pastry chef position there that was like one of her first kind of chef pseudo chef jobs yeah well, a lot of times they try to give you a cushy job title in this industry be like oh you're our new pastry chef and that just means that we're going to take advantage of you and make you work 80 90 hours a week and literally do everything which yeah, is it's unfortunate I, once I again i really really get tired of seeing the manipulation and i've seen it so many times over the 15 years of working in this industry is and they know exactly what they're doing they know that especially the young blood they'll be excited by the job position title and what ends up happening is you start to break down your actual hourly rate and they're working you overtime and you're not actually getting paid what you're worth i mean you're working less than even the busers servers whoever it is at at the end of the day and we learned that actually with Teresa when we (laughs) broke down her her paycheck when she was working at the country club but so those are my first two jobs that was pretty much it and then i remember i graduated high school I did my first year over at SCC, and I took a break from work for about a year. 
and then Teresa came up right behind me and then she wanted to do culinary and I remember her and my dad and even myself we toured some of the culinary campuses uh, I know we checked out SCI Scottsdale Culinary Institute which is no longer with us ACI Art Institute yeah so we checked out all the major ones and then actually as I recall Teresa got a scholarship to go to Johnson and Wales because of one of the culinary competitions she has so she had an option to go to Johnson and Wales but she chose actually to forfeit that to go to SCC do you remember that well so the Johnson and Wales scholarship is like their top scholarship that's for getting first place right what we'll to ask her when she gets on the program but I just know that I know she was qualified for some kind of scholarship and it, I guess yeah they have a couple different ones but what they'll do is they'll give you a scholarship right for education but if you're in Arizona, you got to fly out there, you got to move out there, and you got to find a place to live. And just because your education's covered, that doesn't mean your cost of living is covered. Because I believe at that culinary college, they don't have like dorms or whatever. Or if they do, it's not covered in the tuition costs. But anyway, yeah, so she decided to stay here, it sounds like. Well, I think what ended up happening is she met her family over at SEC. She met great people like Karen and Tom and Dominic and all the folks over there that are chefs and directors and instructors over there at SCC and just immediately fell in love with it and so did I and uh, that's where we ended up and it couldn't have been a better fit if I had asked for it got an incredible education and didn't have to spend a tremendous amount which we really didn't have a lot of money then to be thrown around anyways so it kind of worked out for the best but so we did culinary school and let's see did our first year of culinary school. I remember I had started my prereqs, and then I actually continued an additional year, almost two years now that I think about it, because I had a scholarship through the country club that I was working with. And I finished my certificate, my associates, and then I was working towards my second associates in hospitality. Right out of culinary school, we both started working. Teresa got the job again. <laughs> Not to be like somebody that's always following around my sister, but she right. had gotten her job over at... The country, country club. club. We'll just call it the country club because we don't get anybody in trouble. The, we have some pretty gnarly stories about this quote-unquote country club. So uh, so she gets her job at the country club in North Scottsdale area in Arizona. You're catering to a very high-end clientele. And I think one thing that's worth noting about the country club we worked at is it was all private membership. It was a private club. And so sure. you didn't see new people every day. It was always the same people. So if you pissed off... Mr. Either Mr. Simon know, John Berg, you know, he's going to come back. You had to know somebody or you had to be a member, period. You, if you didn't know the member, you weren't getting in. So right. it was pretty pretty hardcore, which is kind of cool. I mean, but it kind of secluded others from being able to come over there. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. But Right. And before we get into all that, mm-hmm. I just, uh, yeah, I did want to go back to school. And did you have any crazy memories? I know that you have best friends for life. That you've met at that school, just like how we keep in contact with Evo, we keep in contact with Zeus, Hey Zeus, all the guys, you know, and all the you know women that we've worked with. I do, I do actually have some very close friends still through that program, and then actually the instructors who were my teachers at the time are now friends and colleagues of mine since I've been working there, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But yeah, it was almost as if I never left, which was kind of a dream come true for me when I started teaching there because all I wanted to do, and I always tell my students this even, that it's like all you're going to want to do when you graduate here, you will beg to come back to that pot sink and clean those dishes because when you have to start doing academic classes, it's no longer fun anymore, and it was so much fun. Even the chores and hard work that we had to do, it was still so exciting because it was something new and it was 
you, I mean, you were just soaking everything in. You're just like, this is so great. Like, oh my well, and there was so much camaraderie too, because like oh, you yeah. were doing it with everyone else. So even on the deep clean days, you there was always something going on between the whole group, right. and there was like a whole like when we were about to date or whatever, we did the deep clean and hot foods, and there was like this buzzing between Evo and Amanda about us, and it was just obviously for us, it was dating and dumb, but like I'm sure that happens every you know, semester, there's always some kind of drama floating around. And well, I think it's so funny too, that your first day of school, you go in there and no one knows anyone. And within a week, everyone's best friends. I mean, you become a family immediately Inside there when jokes, you go to school. Yeah. Stuff. Inside yeah. jokes, someone cuts themselves and bleeds all over. And then that's like, you know, the story of the day or somebody totally destroyed a dish and Dominic's just messing with them about how terrible their food was or whatever to build them up or whatever. And it's just, it's funny that it's kind of like the military in a way because <laughs> you have to like leave no man behind kind of situation where you have to get the job done and it's hard work. And, you know, you really are soldiers in the kitchen because I don't think what people understand is the tremendous amount of labor that's involved to getting that food to the plate. At least quality restaurants like we were. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of effort to get to that place. And most of the time, you've already put in a full day. I know the way that the culinary block program is structured is that you come in in the morning and then you'll work through lunch service or you'll come in in the afternoon around noon, 1 o'clock, and you'll work till 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, which 8 to 9 hours doesn't sound bad, but it was good preconditioning for you to work in the industry because. Once you work about five hours of prep and then you have to run a full two-hour dinner service that's, you know, ticket after ticket after ticket, it's exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. It's physically exhausting. Not to mention you're being taught, too. You're being educated, so you have to retain all that information, too. Yeah. So, But it's, not to complain. It was... It's tremendous. I mean, Every it was so exhausting. I actually fell asleep in O'Neill's class once. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, because I had closed down the theater the night before, so I didn't get home until, like, 2.30 in the morning. And then during the morning class, when he does the lecture, I literally fell asleep and he had to pull me aside and be like, you need to get your shit together because, like, I'm going to move on without you, so. Right. And I never fell asleep, but I would sit there with my mouth gaped open, (laughs) staring off into space. Oh, my God. It was my signature move. Yeah, the first time I noticed that was breakfast day when he would make hollandaise and he was telling everyone they were whipping like a girl. And you just had your mouth hanging open the whole time. Yeah, that was me all the time. Yeah, Dominic is a character. We love Dominic O'Neill. Good people. He's my Great fave. resume. So I think someone that's noteworthy is you met one of your buddies, Brandon, when you went to school there. I did, yeah. So- and uh, I, I just I just think it's kind of funny, the stories that you guys would tell about being in school together and well, you know singing in the kitchen and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, we used to have a lot of fun. I remember the first time I met Brandon, and Brandon has always been an actor, so... He's now acting in L.A. It's funny how you get into a career path and then you end up changing when you get into hospitality for long enough. But anywho, I remember the first day I met him was actually in Tom Greenwald's pastry class. And we were in the first class with that group for that block. And I remember Brandon was just kind of like this tall drink of water, blonde haired kid, good looking kid, but very quiet. Kind of at least at first he was very introverted. So I was kind of like what this dude's deal. So I remember we were over at the pot sink the one day, and this is in the pastry room, and we're cleaning up the pots and pans and stuff, and so I'm just trying to make conversation, you know, just like, hey, what's up, man? What's your name? He's like, Brandon. I'm like, what's up, Brandon? I'm Joe. And he's like, cool, man. I'm like, so how'd you get into culinary? He's like, well, I really like meth, so I figure I got to get a job (laughs) so I can support that meth habit. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Nice to meet you, brother. (laughs) And just completely stone cold delivered it. Like, I believed everything he said. And then he, like, let me sit and take that in for a minute. He's like, 
nah, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Do, I don't do math. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, maybe I do. I don't know. What's up, man? You know? <laughs> well, not anymore anyway. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. Yeah. But yeah, he always used to make silly little drug references, even though he wasn't a druggie. It was kind of funny. So you and Teresa are going to the program at the same time. What's that like? Yeah. So people kind of freaked out about that. Even Karen, who was the director of the program at the time, was a little bit concerned about it because she's like, look, I've dealt with siblings going through this program before, and it usually doesn't work out really well because there's a lot of competition. And I remember, I think my dad actually was there one of the days my when dad. we were there. My dad. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> dad. Yeah. He went over there and was like, you know, my son and daughter, they're, they really work well together and they don't, there's none of that negative competition kind of stuff. So that's how we ended up becoming, actually we were in the same classes too, through the block, which was pretty cool. Well, I, it's, it's just jogged a memory about when we used to work at the bakery together and you got engaged <laughs> to Connie and I got engaged to Rachel like around the same time. Oh God, yeah. And so towards the end of the restaurant, we were talking to people about how, yeah, you know, we just got engaged and... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, stop. My brother and I just got engaged. <laughs> like, what? And so, most of the time, people got it. But there were a right. few people where they look at us kind of like sideways. So, I'm thinking also like my dad, you know, was talking to Karen. Like, my sister or my two, my daughter and my son, you know, they love each other. And uh, just some sort of like weird joke could have been made there. But uh, it just reminded me of the bakery, though. <laughs> well, I mean, we spent, I mean, we grew up together. We're 11 and a half months apart. We're Irish twins. So, we used to spend a tremendous amount of time playing as kids. And, I mean, we did a lot of things together. And we always worked well together. It was never... We were never really ever fighting with each other until we had our own restaurant together, you know, with the family. That was when shit kind of got a little crazy because you're working side by side and you have these crazy hours that you're putting in. And we did some amazing events and catering and the Thanksgiving pies. And But you get tired and cranky and irritable. And yeah, you do. And when you have like a regular, I say regular, it was like about a 40-hour work week when you're working in a regular restaurant, which we all, of course, know is more like 60, but... That's a little bit different from working almost 100 hours in your own restaurant right next to your family the entire day, you know. So I know you're together in school, and obviously you want to stick to the status quo. You want to be respectful young adults and all that kind of stuff. Right. Were there any issues that came up? or No, and actually what's funny is when we would do like our practicals, I always remember Teresa just killing it. She would always like pretty much get... 100%, if not just shy of 100% on all of her practicals. Because for her, she had already been kind of cooking. She did CCAP before culinary school. She was kind of honing her skills at this point. It wasn't like she didn't have skills. She already had the skills. She was just kind of making them even better. For me, on the other hand, I hadn't really spent a tremendous amount of time in culinary. And I didn't do it in high school either. So for me, I was learning a lot of it for the first time. Which I think is a good way to show that if we talk to Teresa, I'm sure she'd tell us she learned a tremendous amount and she already knew a bit. She you did. didn't know. She's very humble in that regard. But, but you didn't know really a whole good. lot and you still learned a tremendous amount and you didn't, when everyone graduates at the end, no one's above or below anyone. Everyone kind of is at the same playing field when you get out of there. It's kind of nice. Well, you get to take your education and do what you want with it at that point. It's kind of like, it's on you at that point if you want to go and do some really great, you know, incredible restaurant concepts. You want to travel, if you want to do, you know, cruises or or if you just want to stay in the valley and work at a regular restaurant. And I always encourage my students, it's like if you're young and you're single and you have a passion and ambition to do something in this career path, then go and travel. Travel, work on a cruise line, go do something that you can actually experience a lot more of life because if you're 
kind of held down here. You've got some family obligations or you're you're married or you're dating or whatever that situation might look like and you feel compelled to stay, then you won't really get to explore. Like Evo, some of his stories is a direct result of him getting out of culinary school, not having any ties. He just went out and did what he wanted to do and got a lot of experience and had some fun. Even, I mean, Zeus, he's our favorite and traveling Zeus. chef oh, gypsy. God. Zeus, yeah. You know, he's <laughs> everywhere, dude. I was going to say, I was going to go work in, I think it was Minnesota for a summer. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. You were going to go out there. I got a job offer to work at this really prestigious camp along a lake near the Canadian border or something crazy. And because of you, we had like a trip planned and I decided not to go. But I could have totally gone out there and worked with this lady. I think she had a Michelin star. Like, it was crazy. Oh, so it's all my fault. Yeah. I didn't go because of you. Oh, that's great. So you could yeah, be like some. Me back, you could be some hotshot chef like somewhere, and I messed that whole thing up. Yeah, I could have seen the Northern Lights. It's all your fault. Darn, and I could have been a stay-at-home dad. Shoot. What? Well, yeah, you'd be the breadwinner, so I could just stay oh, home yeah. all day. <laughs> Maybe. I have, uh, you know, Everything goes now. I got no children and no dogs to take care of, Rachel. But I got a KD ratio on Warzone. I got to keep in track. Okay, so <laughs> I could, God. I could stay home and do that kind of stuff. You robbed that from me. I robbed that for myself. So anyway, so back to Joe. So he's, you know, he's going to the school. You actually have a great story about one of your practicals with, I think it was Chef Holman. Yep. So this is second semester now. So when I did my first semester practical on Hot Foods, O'Neill, I remember him. Probably um, just looked at it and then pushed the plate away. O'Neill has some very funny mannerisms. He'll do this thing where like he looks at you very sternly and then does like this extremely like millisecond, like half smirk. He'll do like this little, huh. Like, like he doesn't say anything. He just does this little weird smirk. I can't think of anything that I've seen that I can represent to give you a visual on this. But it was just really funny. He'd give you a very serious look, and he'd do this little half half smirk really quickly. Like, <laughs> what's Like happening? a very sarcastic. Very yeah, sarcastic, like, yeah. Quirky, kind of like quick, yeah. Yeah, so if you asked him, like, how you did, he would do that little quick smirk, and you'd be like, uh, what, what, is, what does that mean? Is that bad? Am I in trouble? Yeah, but he's it, very sarcastic, so it... it works perfectly for him i just remember that i did really well in the sense of cooking the food but i didn't deglaze and use my sauce from my dish and that really bothered him so he was like you didn't utilize all of your sauces joe and you could have deglazed it but you didn't so now here we have this meat and it's naked and you tried to recreate some kind of cocked up sauce and now it's not the same so it's like, okay. Yeah, that sounds like it. So I, I learned that I needed to deglaze my, my pan and utilize the sauce and the spices and whatnot. So but anyways, going back to Holman. So that was first semester. First semester, I'm not going to lie, I didn't necessarily, I wouldn't say I struggled, but I was definitely learning a lot. I was I was doing all the right things. I just wasn't doing them to a level that was chefly. I guess that's the best way I can put it. And that's why you're at school. That's why you do school. That's right. So then I did second semester and then second semester Holman. I don't know if we talked about Holman. Did you guys kind of pick up on Holman a little bit? We talked about him a little bit. Andrew actually regrets. He said he didn't learn anything from other than how to burn or let out cigarettes on your skin or something stupid. Yeah. And you're like, no, I actually learned a lot from him. I wish I wouldn't have said that. So Chef Holman, which I know this guy, he's a good dude. Love him to death. He's like, seriously... He's going to be mad either way, whatever I say on this on this podcast, if he ever listens to it. But he seriously is a teddy bear. He's like the nicest dude ever. However, I remember him telling us when we first started class with him that he's like, yeah, I used to be one of those chefs that used to throw things at my, uh, my employees and break plates and get really upset. And he had kind of this Jason Seagal kind of look. 
and he'd have like he had the bald head with the ponytail and the mustache goatee kind of thing going on and he he just looked hard you know what i mean he looked very serious he looked all the very time he was hard. so scary he looked like he was actually like a master at like karate and could like break your neck and he's seen some shit you know what i mean kind of guy i was like all right <laughs> And that's his persona that he kept. He told me a story, though, where he did a competition in, I think, China, where he actually had to cook dog for the competition. Did I say Jason Seagal? I meant Steven Seagal. Sorry. (laughs) Jason Seagal is a totally different dude. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, go on. But yeah, no, he just, he was telling me he had to cook all sorts of crazy stuff. And I was like mortified. I was like, oh my God, you cooked a dog? Like, that's terrifying. But he was just like so matter of fact about it. I just feel like that's how he is. Yeah, he's hardcore, but he is one of the best chefs at that culinary school i learned so much from him i'm sure you did too i did yeah he was very strict and he was very um matter of fact like you would say but he did also recognize talent when he saw it and he wasn't necessarily like one of these guys that's like come here and give me a hug you know it wasn't like that it was just kind of like he'd give you a look or he'd give you a nod and you just knew that you did a nice job right but if he like you just said if he recognized you a talent though then he went twice as hard on you because he expected you to well yeah really value the craft and really push yourself to be the best i just remember the one i don't know if it was my final practical or because we you do multiple practicals when you're in your you know your different blocks but i just remember the one practical we had to do had to do with seafood he's like all right we've been working with seafood the last couple weeks i want you to make me a seafood dish and he's like you can do whatever you want just make sure it's seafood related and it's not too big so i remember doing this um it was basically octopus and I can't remember specifically what I did now. It's crazy. It's been so long. You said you did like taquitos with a beurre blanc. I remember. So, yeah, I'm just trying to think of what specific seafood that I used. I knew I probably calamari. It was like calamari uh, and some kind of like white fish. And so what I did was I made my own tortillas and I put them inside and I dropped them into the fryer and made like these like mini ta- taquitos basically. Um, and then I made this red pepper butter beurre blanc and I did it over top of them. And I just remember that he came over, he came and looked at my play presentation, he was satisfied with that, he wrote some things on his little pad, and then he took a bite of the little seafood taquitos, kind of expressionless, and walked away. And I was like, oh God, I just failed. You know, like I'm screwed. So the compliment to me, and made me feel completely better about everything that I had made, as he went around to all the other students, and he walked back over to me, into my plate, and he picked up another one, and he ate it. And I was like, oh, snap, dude. He said it was my food. And he did. And so he was really excited about He even told me, he's like, these are really good, Joe. Very nice job. I'm like, uh, oh, my God. I just feel like I died and went to heaven because this is the best kind of news I could ever hear. Well, I'm sure that that was a testament to your struggle through school. You finally got that. Uh, what's the word for it? Recognition. Yeah, praise. you finally got the recognition that you had been hoping for. The and validation. Is that the what you're val- for? Validation. Reckon- I mean, you just you knocked it out of the park is what you did. I finally did something right. Yeah. And I was kind of like, wow, okay. So I might actually have a, a talent here in this career path. So maybe I should stick around for a little while. That was just kind of the, just what I needed to hear, needed to see to recognize that it's like, okay, I should stay, stay in this industry and continue forward. See, I cannot relate to that at all because I feel like both him and O'Neill were like, this girl's helpless and we're just going to like move her along because I did not excel at hot foods at all. And you both did great. Well, no, Rachel. I mean, well, not pastry, though. Well, I, was great. I didn't do so great. And I'm not going to lie. I think I passed his class. Well, I was going to say, though, that, yeah, I mean, 
you make it sound bad though, but there's students like that one we talked about this oh, yeah. Thomas, <laughs> where they literally knew that there was no hope for them whatsoever. And yeah. so they just kind of, they literally pushed no, him No, he it. had to repeat the first semester hot foods. Well, yeah, because he failed but and missed a bunch of days. But he let him pass it the second time because he didn't want to deal with him again. And they actually let him come <sighs> in. Well, this is really incriminating to the kid, but they let him come in in the morning during his other shift so that he could do the one semester and then he can go to the second semester at night so he didn't miss any school. They tried so to accelerate him through. They yeah. just wanted to push him through. So anyway, did you have any kids like that that you were like, please, for the love of God, put your knives away and leave the kitchen because this career path is not for you? Which is, well, that's actually kind of rude to say, but there's just some people that don't, it doesn't click. So let me get to that. I graduated culinary school, did really well, enjoyed it, fell in love with it, continued with my education. But right out of culinary school, I got my job over at this country club with my sister. And we could sit and talk for an hour on all the crazy stories that I experienced over there. And right, I do we'll have you on again and we'll get you. Yeah, talking. definitely. That should be like part two, country club horror stories. But I remember... After working there for five years, and we were starting our restaurant, we were conceptualizing our restaurant and starting to open that, and I think it was actually within year five of the five years that I was working at the country club that we had started coming up with you know, our idea of working in these farmer's markets, et cetera, et cetera. And then after five years at the country club and kind of being fed up with what I was seeing over there, I had this opportunity to work at the college. And they asked, actually, Karen herself called me up and said, I want you to work this job. I have a job for you. I want you to be our front of the house hospitality instructor. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And I remember telling you guys when I came home that I had this opportunity. And Teresa was like, yeah, you got to take it. You got to do it. And I'm like, nah, I think I'm good. So I did end up taking the job position. And it was probably the best thing I ever did for myself. It helped me understand patience when it comes to people more so than I ever had imagined because now I was teaching students my craft and I'm not gonna lie my first year my rookie year was a little bit tough because the, the students were teaching me as much as I was teaching them and you have to learn how to have boundaries with your students and being able to set your curriculum and not let them take advantage of you so that was something new for me that I had to learn. But I was also, you know, I, I was a manager over at the country club, so I had learned how to train staff and work with people. And Right, you had the skill set, yeah, but teaching, but teaching and, is totally different. Yeah. I, I don't get to fire the students if they don't do what I ask them to do. So, Well, and furthermore beyond that, I think you've, you've brought this up a couple times. When it comes to they're there to learn and they're not there to work. So you got to find that perfect balance too, You do, like. yeah. And I think that's the hardest thing that, I know some of my colleagues that I've worked with over the years, even through the program, kind of struggle with is this, and I've had to talk to them about this. It's like, look, you got to understand that they are paying to be here. So there is a certain level of respect that we have to pay them as well. So we can't just bark out orders and tell them what to do and give them busy work. When we're a little bit slow, we should find something for them to do that's productive, but also realize that if they have an opportunity to take a break, that that's okay too. And so that's kind of part of it as well. You have to make sure that you have that balance, that it's not that I am your teacher and that you have to listen to everything I say, but that we're, it's kind of a cooperative experience and environment. It's like, yes, I'm here to teach you, but you're also here to, if you're in our restaurant or you're in the kitchen, this is your classroom. So this is your time to explore and enjoy yourself. No, I think that that's a good point to kind of get across, but it's actually kind of funny. You bring that, just kind of like, people that are in the industry and people that you meet and people that are everyone knows everyone and someone that you actually work with right now you went to high school with and middle school and elementary school and it's just funny and that culinary school and culinary school so you go all through all that you know this person for all this time 
And then I'm coming up in the ranks and I'm coming through high school. And this same person that was throughout school for you, she becomes my high school teacher. Right. And then she actually became my mentor through CCAP and getting me, helping me out with my scholarship and teaching me how to be prepared for the program. So it's, it was kind of funny that you guys literally spent your entire almost lifetime with this chick and now you're working with her again. Right. So yeah, going back to people that we know and have continued to have relationships with, um, Brandon, obviously my boy, Brandon in LA, we still hang out and chat and whatnot. And then, of course, Ashley went to middle school with me, high school with me. We were in the band together. We were such band nerds back in the day. I played drums, though, so it's a little cooler. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. All right, whatever, yeah. And then, yeah, then we went. She did culinary school. That was what was freaked me out because I didn't expect to see her because she did the same thing I did. She did because we were in the same year. We graduated high school the same year. Wow. So she took a year and did either her prereqs or did whatever she did. And then that following year did culinary school like I did with my sister. And my sister was a year behind, so it shouldn't have worked out that way, but it did. So then we did culinary school together. And then, shoot. Oh, man. We graduated in 2009. And I started working. It was about five or six years later, yeah, that I started teaching there. And then I taught there for about, well, almost four years. And then within the last year she's worked the last two semesters with me so it's it's kind of crazy that it comes full circle small world so. i guess you two were meant to be together yeah something like that <laughs> within the same friends wise yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously geez yeah <laughs> but yeah anyways so it's fun working with her too because she went to culinary school with me she's young you know we really do need younger mentors and i hate to i don't want to sound like you know the old people they need to get out of this industry but I appreciate their old school way of doing things. And I think sometimes in a lot of ways, the old school way is the best way to do it. However, you do need to be kind of prepared for the industry that is now. And working in that industry, I've been able to give a little more information to the young bloods and people that are coming through the culinary world. That's like, it's changed a lot and you need to be aware of what has changed. And so if I can give you some wisdom on that, I'll try and do my best. But it's even changed in the last five years that I've been teaching. I mean, it's so much different from even when I started teaching or when I went to culinary school. It's crazy. So as a teacher I, and every teacher out there and any manager, I'm sure you've got at least one or two stories of something that you had to do with a student or they helped you learn or maybe well, they dropped an entire plate of beans on someone. I, I don't know. I'll tell you one of my kind of disgusting stories first. How about that? Because everyone loves gory bloody stories so this is one of my bloody stories so i actually wasn't even there to see this i came into this second hand which i think was almost worse <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i came into the office and i'm walking through the because you to get to the offices you have to walk through the kitchen and whatnot and so i come in and i walk past the pot sink and i literally walked past it and in the corner of my eye i saw it but kept walking and then stopped backed up slowly and turned my head and re-looked at what I had seen out of the corner of my eye. The three-position pot sink, the giant pot sink that we have for cleaning our dishes, sure. was completely sprayed with blood. <laughs> it looked no. like it was some kind of like murder scene, like crime scene. They even, they even had the caution tape and stuff up, which I'm surprised I missed when I walked past. But, you know, you're going about your day like... What? You know, and I was like, oh, my God. So... <laughs> I look at this, it's still, you know, people were like, they didn't touch it because it's, a, you know, bloodborne. They got to get people in there to clean it or power wash it or do whatever. So it was very fresh. The accident was very fresh. So I walked into the offices 
And I remember asking, I don't even remember who was on staff that day. I just remember asking somebody, I'm like, what the hell happened here? Like, there's blood all over the place. What in the hell is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody explained to me that apparently one of our students, first semester students, had managed to cut her finger. I guess she either cut the tip of her finger off or she had slid a vital artery somewhere in her hand. But she was in the butcher room at the time. Cut it. Not only did she, like, freak out. But she was screaming, and instead of just putting her hand underwater or putting it into a sink or doing something, she was in shock pretty much. And she just ran into the pot sink and started holding her hand and just basically waving it around frantically all over the pot sink. And there was blood everywhere. I mean, you got to imagine. That was just, it wasn't just the blood on the stainless steel like backing that was bad. It was the blood that was like in the water. It was like right. you know, something you'd see out of Jaws for like chumming or something. It's like, <laughs> oh, dear God. God. <laughs> Oh, dear God. So she lost a good pint of blood, it sounds like. Yeah, so the EMS showed up and took her out and took care of her. But, yeah, it was pretty disgusting. That was that was one of those, like, okay, wow. That's How many cool. times did you cut yourself in school? So my worst enemy was the serrated knife. It was never the chef's knife or any of the other knives. It was always the serrated knife. And it was usually when I was cleaning the knife, too. Uh, oh, wait. Although I've cut my finger off a few times. Matter of fact, you and I worked a cater out one time. I think you I brought, was yeah, it the last? Yeah, we brought this up in the last episode. I don't think you've listened to it uh, yet, but Andrew I haven't heard this. Up. Yeah, no, but... We were doing a we cater out. We were working out. a cater out. You were, you were, I actually asked you to help me with this. And so I remember you were working it, and I was working it. And I had a serrated knife, and it was a bag of frozen shrimp. I'll never forget it. And they're like, hey, we're going to have you open these up and... Maybe it wasn't even frozen. It was just like cocktail shrimp from Costco or something like that. And they wanted us to make like shrimp cocktail, whatever. Anyways, I remember holding the tip of the bag and my fingers were kind of held out a little bit <gasps> on the top part. And I took the serrated knife and just went right across it real clean. And my, my first finger, my index finger was stuck out when I took the cut. And it just cut com- completely clean the tip of my finger off. Just com- so much so that I had enough time to even stare at it and be like, Oh, damn. And then it just started gushing blood. I just remember that. And I remember the the people we were doing the cater out for, too. Their son was, like, former Navy SEAL, like, hardcore. He was a, he was a medic, corpsman. And he, I remember I was in the garage, like, you know, wrapping my finger up, cleaning my hand up in their, like, little laundry sink or whatever it was. And the homeowner's son came out, and he was like, all right, let's take a look at it. And he grabbed my finger, like, all aggressively and was like, yeah, you're going to be fine. Just kind of wrap that up and keep tight pressure on it. I'm like, thanks. Like, you know, like <laughs> This is like this big Navy SEAL ripped up dude and was like, I've seen worse, bro. It's like, yeah, okay, this really hurts. So, But yeah, serrated knives were my enemy in the kitchen, and I probably cut myself. In culinary school, believe it or not, you don't cut yourself as much as you might think because you're so cautious. You're trying to be like so cautious. That's a really good point. Yeah, I only kitchen. did it twice. Once was the stabbing and the other was I was cleaning my knife after it's doing It's usually, fish. yeah, when you're doing, you're not paying attention. I was trying to it's dry it with a paper towel like a dumbass. And it, of course, cut right through the paper towel on my finger. In the wrong direction, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it should be known, too, that, you know, they say this, and sometimes people don't truly understand this, but, you know, a sharp knife is a safe knife, and a dull knife is a dangerous knife. Well, the reason for that being is, you know, we're doing so many knife skills on a day-to-day that when you have a sharp knife, it's easy to cut through that stuff. But once you start dulling it down and you're not honing it, that's when you start kind of chopping harder and cutting more recluse and then you end up cutting yourself because your hand gets in the way because you're grasping whatever it is you're trying to cut so when you're new and you don't know what a dull knife feels like so you're just chopping away thinking i got brand new knives i'll be fine but after a couple hours of prep you got to rehone your knife hell even after a half hour you got to rehone it yeah no doubt 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the mistakes that people do when they're cooking in their own kitchens nowadays is they don't have sharp knives, and they that's how they manage to cause problems for themselves. And But beyond that, as we've talked about before, it's kind of sad, but in the current state of uh, our emergency in the world people are cooking more at home so i hope they're learning a few things and i just it's kind of sad that we're lucky because we got to go to culinary school and we grew up in a household that knew how to cook but there are so many people out there that just they really don't know how to cook and it actually breaks my heart a little bit because if they only knew how simple i don't want to say i don't play it off as it's so simple but there are some certain things that you can do that are very simple to make your life so much easier in terms of the world of cooking so, but anyways, to come full circle, yeah, I cut myself a few times with a knife. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mainly serrated knives, though. It was always, and it was usually, I'd be at the pot saying, cleaning my knife, and I'd be wiping it down with, you know, a rag, and I'd catch my finger on the edge, or I'd be chopping something, and, you know, it was never anything major, but it was just enough to really ruin your day, you know? Yep. Any other crazy student stories as a teacher? The only other one that I had, I mean, I have quite a few, but there was one in particular that I thought was pretty ridiculous. I had a cup. I had three of my students decide they were going to plagiarize in my class. What? And yeah. So yeah, how I do you had, plagiarize with like a front of house class? Off each other. Yeah, they they plagiarized off each other. Um, what it was was it was a quiz. I gave them a take home quiz, and I never ever do that. But I did it this one time. I'm not even sure what the circumstances were, but I gave them to take it home. And I just remember that I had these three students turn their papers in, and there was the first draft, which was the kid that did the work. Then there was the other two that were photocopied, literally photocopied. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I can't make this up. That's why this is worth sharing. They photocopied this kid's paper. So I, so I, you know, it's the afternoon and it's my day off and I'm going through these quizzes and, you know, I got through just about everybody. And then I graded the first quote unquote draft is what I'm referring to as the one that was plagiarized go through that and then I come across these other two quizzes and one of them you could tell was a French a fresh photocopy and then it looked almost as if that they took that photocopy and then photocopied that again because (laughs) the other one was even lighter than the other one well they probably did like bro I got a copy you want one sure and it was just crudely whited out with their name put in place and it was just it was bad it was like you know what First off, we're in college. I would have expected a lot more. You could have at the very least... I mean, this is a new level of lazy. They didn't even just rewrite the quiz down from their friend. They photocopied it. And I'm like, okay. So I just remember picking up these three quizzes, pulling you know these three students aside and saying, hey, um, here's the deal. Normally, this is an offense that I would drop you from my class immediately and report and you'd be this expelled to the dean from the of the college. Yeah, and you would have to deal with this because this is a very serious offense. However, since I have a heart and I don't want you to fail this class or this program, I'm just going to give you a zero on this, and I don't ever want to see this behavior again. So Which you, was a gift. You would think that that was the end of it, right? So that was it. I was just actually what I told him is I'm like I'm really disappointed that you guys weren't actually you know crafty enough to just have rewritten the quizzes down because then you know even if they were the same answers it would be very difficult for me to be actually call you out on this. But the fact that you photocopied it is just terrible. So we went around. We went into dinner service, and I had one of these students that was you know he's a big boy. He looked like he was former football player, and he. He ended up getting in my face. Actually, he didn't get in my face. He started spewing off his discontent with all the other students during service hours. And he was just explaining that, you know, I feel like I've been the I've been singled out and 
Chef Hills is just trying to mess with me and he just wants to fail me in my class and blah, 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 blah. And everything that he's saying is completely unwarranted because he cheated. He just blatantly cheated. There, he didn't even have a story to, to come up with, but this is the trash that he was spewing out to all my other students. So finally, I ended up actually pulling him aside and said, hey, this is completely unacceptable. So you have two choices. I already gave you the first choice, which is that we can give you a zero on this quiz and go about our business. At this point, you have a choice whether or not you want to continue working in the program because at this point, it's just ridiculous. You can't be disrespecting the other students' learning and, furthermore, slandering my name when you did something wrong. It wasn't me. It was you. Right. I didn't cheat on a test. You did. Exactly. So anyways, I think that was probably one of the most volatile moments of my career and particularly showing patience because if it was up to me, I would have really been... I would have used some more choice language. I probably would have gotten a little more humanistic, but being an instructor and being a human and a professional, you learn how to deal with people when they're doing those kinds of things. Even if it's a student or a customer or an employee, you just need to know how to handle yourself. So it was a good lesson for me, but it was also a good lesson for him that it's like, hey, you know, I'm not a pushover. I don't know where you've worked before, but I don't tolerate this kind of stuff. So you can either come to work or you can come to school and you can learn or you can just do whatever you want to do. It's so you had like an argument with this kid? He was getting in your face, you said? Yeah, he got my face. He was going to try and potentially fight me. And I'm just like, this isn't going to happen, kid. We're just, this is not how this is going to go down like you think it's going to go down. So he ended up, I ended up telling him to go home. And about 20 minutes later, he showed up back in my class and was apologizing and said, hey, I'm sorry for my behavior, and I really want to be a part of this program. So it kind of full circle came to be really good, and he ended up being one of my favorite students, actually, by the end, because he did a really nice job and really gave in the effort. So, you know, never ever assume that just because you have a bad encounter with somebody that it's always going to be that way. You never know who you're giving a person that person a chance and where their mindset might be in this industry, and I've seen that happen a few times. No, I think that's a really beautiful story. And, uh, you know, if you would have handled that differently and got in that kid's face and said some well, choice words like you're talking about. for starters, yeah. <laughs> or, may, I mean, maybe not. I mean, but he probably would have resented you and would have been like, man, screw this class. I don't give a damn. But you showed him kindness, and it just goes to show what kindness can do. Uh, I think kindness works more than um, the level of disrespect that I've seen other chefs and managers and people that I've worked with over the years, I think that's part of the reason why I do have compassion for other people is that I've, I've been demoralized in some places that I've ever worked. And I just remember thinking to myself after I got over being, you know, hurt, feeling emotional about it, I was just like, I will never do this to another human being, let alone my students or my employees or my staff or whoever it is that I'm working with. So again, kind of on that journey piece, it's like, you know, you work in the industry long enough, you see a lot of things that are negative. The, re the reality is hopefully, you know, those that are listening to this podcast realize that this wisdom that we're trying to share with you is, I hope that you have end up opening your own places and opening your own restaurant and bring dignity back to the hospitality world. Because I think that's the one thing I try to teach my students more than ever is you need to have respect for the table. And not a lot of people understand what I mean by that. But when you give respect to the table, it starts with not only uh, your silverware and the way that the tables are set up, but it starts with the second the guest comes into the dining room, you know, greeting them, being happy, showing them respect. And everybody has their bad days. You know, it's almost impossible to say keep your problems at the door. But the reality is for, for customers, hell, even myself, when I go out to a restaurant, I'm looking for that experience. I'm looking for that ex escape. And when you come in and you have bad service, the second you walk in, whether it's the host or 
even your valet. I mean, Andrew, you remember working in the valet. That was the thing they used to preach to you the most. You're the first person they see as they come into this operation. And so if you had a bad attitude, that already set the tone for everything. So that's kind of what I try to teach in my classroom is it's just remember to give respect to your table. Make sure your table looks presentable. Make sure it looks symmetrical, organized, polished, and clean. And then beyond that, make sure that you take care of the guests that are there and make them feel like they are the only person in the room. And I feel like we've lost that in translation somewhere. You know what's been interesting with this whole COVID-19 thing Not to spend too much time on this because I want to talk about positive things, but I will say that the level of service has gotten a lot better. And the reason it's gotten a lot better is because there's a lot less people that are overwhelming their restaurants. So they are begging for people to come in and patronize their restaurants. So they do give a little more of a damn when you come in because it's their livelihood. And I think in a way, this whole virus has done a lot of good for a lot of reasons, not economically speaking and it's hurt a lot of people physically whether it's the virus or their financial situation but it also has brought in light for people in the industry and people in the i used to teach safety and sanitation for three years so when this whole you know cdc guidelines came out about washing your hands and sanitizing and making sure your surfaces are clean and this and that i mean i think all three of us can attest to this these are practices we've already been doing for a long time At least if you gave a damn about your restaurant and your environment. So the fact that people are paying attention to that more now because of this virus is encouraging to me because that means that when I do go to a restaurant, and restaurants are the worst, I will tell you, I've worked in a lot of them, that means they're at least caring a little bit more about their safety and sanitation practices, which is exciting for me. But beyond that, it's, it's revitalizing the service industry as well because it's like, hey, we might only have 10 guests today. And I really need to work for that tip. I hate to say it, but I'm going to give them a little more courteous behavior or better service this time around, whatever it might look like. And that part of it's good. But the other thing is when you go to culinary school, you get to learn this stuff when you're in school. We teach you this. At least I've been teaching it this way. And I know that all of our chefs have been teaching us this way is don't ever send out food that you wouldn't eat yourself. If it doesn't look right, if it doesn't taste right, if it isn't hot enough, you don't send that food out. And I can't tell you how many times, and you guys have been out in restaurants too, where you've experienced this, where the food is subpar, and it was let out of the kitchen, the expediter, and it goes all the way, starts from the top and works its way down. You have your management, you got your your sous chef, your executive chef, your sous chef, it goes all the way down to your regular servers. And if they don't care enough about what's going on in their operation, that's how it slips through the cracks. And that's how you end up seeing these poor practices and i've just seen it over and over and over again and again i'm not even upset with the busser or the server i'm more upset with the manager it's like hey where where were you to to see this kind of stuff some of the best restaurants i've ever been in i'm sure you guys know the manager comes out to the table makes that touch point with you and say hey how's your meal like how's everything going you don't see that very often nowadays i've been seeing a lot more of it lately because the managers need to work too but Well, I kind of want to circle back to what you talked about, that like extra level of service. Um, We always kind of joke about like, why is Dutch Bros always so flipping busy? Lying down the street. Yeah, and Chick-fil-A. And for Dutch Bros specifically, I mean, we all joke about how in your face they get about like, how's your day? What are you doing today? What are you going to do tomorrow? Like they're all up in your business. You know what I mean? Well, what did you do five minutes ago? You're not used to that. That's why I'm kind of saying that. It's not like it's wrong, but it's different. 
Yeah. And so like I know when I worked in the coffee shop, if I wanted to make someone's day and give them that extra level of care, I would ask them what they're doing today or where they're visiting from or, you know, what their plans for today are or whatever. And that would enhance the experience. And I feel like because there are less people coming into restaurants, you're able to have that conversation now because you're not like, okay, well, I still have to get to X, Y, Z table before, you know, I can come back here. You have that extra time to build that connection and give that better service. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think it all really boils down to just having that level of balance with your tables because I've always told my students, it's like, hey, I want you to be able to have that intimate touch point, be able to have that kind of reach out conversation with the guests, but you're not there to tell them your life story. So I think that there is a gentle balance. I always remember when I was serving and I was finally at the level where I was very confident and knew the menu really well that I could make enough time to be able to talk to my guests because I wasn't being inefficient at that point. I could put the order in really quick. I knew what our food and our wine was. I would make sure that the bartender already had my order and I could go back and make that touch point and be like, hey, just to finish that conversation, this is what's going on in my life, etc. So it's just kind of a, one of those things where you need to have that sense of urgency, like I always tell people. And people don't understand what I mean by that, but it's like you need to be working with a purpose. You know, anytime you come out to the dining room, you should have a tray in your hand in case somebody needs to clear something. Uh, or you just need to make sure that when the food's coming out that you're not taking your sweet-ass time when you're walking down the hallway to get that food out. Make sure that you're not running but power walking to the table because the more time it takes to have that, you know, touch point with the air, then all of a sudden, you know, the food starts to get a little bit colder, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just – it's for me, it's just being professional. It really boils down to professionalism. And I think professionalism has been misconstrued over the years. What does that actually mean? Well, it means making sure that you're giving the customer the best possible service you humanly can do. And so it's been lost in translation, but I will tell you that through the culinary school and a lot of the culinary programs over either in the Valley or all over the States and certain restaurants with great trainers and managers out there, there there's still help. For the young groups of people that are coming into this industry, there's still hope for those to understand chivalry and what that means and taking care of people. And, you know, I know in our restaurant we serve the ladies first and, you know, we do it, you know, the French and English way where we serve from the left and clear from the right. I know that the American way is to do it from either one side or the other. It doesn't matter, but it's, you know, usually on the right side. Both Whatever's sides. more accessible pretty much. Yeah, yeah, but I think the other thing that drives me nuts and part of giving respect to the table is that we've come we've come into an age where everybody uses slang language. Yo, what up? Yeah. What's up? Hey guys. That's like the big no-no hey I guys. learned in school. You should yeah. never say hey guys. You don't say guys, yeah, cuz use guys is is use guys want some uh, food. It's going to be wicked good. And but the other thing is uh no problem. You hear no problem all the time. It's like, yeah, I didn't think there was a problem, but now I'm starting to think there might be a problem because you said no problem. Is there a problem? You know, it's weird. So we start thinking about those kinds of things. And then on the other end, when Chick-fil-A, when they serve you your food and they wink at you after saying my pleasure, that's a little bit too far. Well, though. my well. pleasure I learned at the resort. <laughs> my pleasure is huge. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. Well, I know, but... If you remember our, our, our buddy, he used to mess with the customers, especially when he worked with me and the men's girl. He would always go up to the guys and... <laughs> He'd whisper in their ear after they'd order some food. They'd be like, yeah, Mike, I'm going to do a, you know, a cheeseburger with the fries. And then he'd whisper in there and be like, it's my darkest pleasure. <laughs> and they'd be like, wait, what did you say? And then he'd leave, you know. And I'd be like, Mike, what did you just say to him? He's like, oh, I just said it was uh, my darkest pleasure to serve him. I'm like, your darkest pleasure. I'm like, people are already weird by saying my pleasure. But when you say my darkest pleasure, that brings it to a whole new level of uncomfortableness. Yeah, he was so funny, man. He, he That was his style, though. He And the members loved it about him. I remember one time 
I was out at the valet chilling, and my dad pulled up, and he was dropping me off something because he was in the area or whatever. And Mikey Mike comes out, and he walks up to me, and he goes, oh, is, was that your dad? I'm like, yeah, he was just dropping me off some homework or something. I was going to work on it tonight. He's like, cool, cool. And he's like looking away, and he looks back at me. He's like, did he say anything about me? <laughs> <laughs> And I'm yeah, like, that's what? Totally Mike, man. He's like, nothing. No, I just, I just wondered if, you know, did he, <laughs> did you see me and say anything? <laughs> I, the other thing I used to love is when he would say something completely outlandish or awkward. Uh, and these are the people that you meet in this industry that you got to hold on to because they're amazing characters. But he, he would say something crazy. He'd be like, "Hey, do you guys ever like wake up in the morning and your eyes are like bleeding?" And he'd be like, <laughs> "No, no, that never happens, Mike." He'd be like, "Yeah, me neither." Hey, this is so us, though, right? This is so us. I'd be like, "No, this. What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. I'll see you up in the men's grill. Okay. He'd be like, yeah. But there are other times when he was so serious because he, he, that's what he did. He was, he was a psychological ninja. Like, he would come into work all calm and cool, and then, like, he'd work up to his, like, ridiculousness and then say something like that to either the customer or you or whoever. And Anyways, he made working fun. Let's just say that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the best part of the industry is the people you meet. And, I mean, you meet hundreds because turnover is ridiculous. But, yeah, you got to hold on to the people that you meet for sure. And all the stuff you're talking about with professionalism and service, I think me and you should probably start our own podcast on that because you seem like you could just go on and on about oh, that. Oh, man, so. I could talk for hours. And I'll, the, one, the only thing I want to touch on because we were talking about, you know, Dutch Brothers and Chick-fil-A. And, you know, they, they make you feel like you're at home. And that's one of the things that I try to teach my students is make sure that when you have a customer that they're kind of like your long lost family, you know, don't be afraid of them. I think the hardest thing that I have to teach actually is public speaking skills. You said you've had students cry. I've had students that have literally been devastated. (laughs) They had a two top, which I mean by two top, like two customers at a single table. So we had a two top and I gave them like the easiest customers because we have regulars that come into the college all the time. And I'm like, all right, this is perfect. They're super nice couple like you could literally spit in their food and they'd still smile and be like oh my god thank you you know like they're kind of like that but i just remember this it was it started with the young lady i remember her she was like probably a year into my teaching and she was just mortified she just couldn't go out she's like oh my god i'm gonna mess up and she was just crying and i was like hey you know it's okay like that's kind of the reason we're in culinary school and this is your classroom is so that you can make mistakes so don't worry they're not gonna bite your head off they're not gonna be rude to you and I said, if they are rude to you, I will be out there to make sure that I, you know, respectfully tell them to leave you alone. But, you know, she just was mortified. So I remember she did finally go out to the table. And this one girl in particular that I'm thinking of that really had an issue going out and talking to the table, what was hilarious, and I don't want to make this seem like it's a comical thing, but what I found humorous, I guess I should say, is that although she was terrified to talk to the guests, she was one of the best fluent, like, most comfortable well-read menu she understood the menu really well she 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 worked really well with the customers it was kind of i scratched my head after i got done listening to her freak out because i was like you understand this so well you just have a problem with being able to present yourself and so i think that a lot of people struggle with that is just being able to be comfortable with their own skin and be able to talk to guests and being able to be confident i guess really because i'm sure all of us have confidence issues whether it's public speaking or jumping out of a plane and doing skydiving whatever it might be for somebody everybody has their own fears and for this girl in particular it was just talking to guests she just she really had a problem with it but what's cool is by the end of it she ended up being one of my literally one of my best students i mean she was one of the best 
that could explain the dishes so well because she wanted to be in the kitchen. She didn't want to be in the front of the house. And so that was actually to her benefit. The reason why she was so great at being a front of the house server is because she was so involved in the craft, in the ingredients, in the food, how it was prepared, that she was able, when she finally got on, you know, comfortable enough to explain it, she could actually talk about the food so intimately. And it was like, I don't think you understand that that alone is a gift. Like, you know, front of the house is already difficult as it is, but if you have enough love for the food, it makes it so much easier for the guests to be, to order the food. And by the way, you know, if there's no front of the house servers selling the food, there's no reason for a restaurant to be open. Unless you're one of these, you know, grab and go kind of restaurants and that concept works for you. But people want to be excited about what they're about to eat. And a lot of times, especially if it's their first time, they want you to hold their hand. It's like, hey, what do I need to know? What's good? Tell me what you like on the menu. So having that confidence of the food and especially like dinner restaurants, having that wine knowledge and beverage knowledge. I mean, we're there to relax as guests. We just want to take it easy. We've already had a hard work week and maybe this is our one day a week we can afford to go out to dinner so it's like it's got to be an experience you got to give that respect to the table you got to give that dignity to the guests and to your point about you know the my pleasure conversation when it comes to chick-fil-a having the superlatives to be able to talk to the guests and saying instead of saying no problem how about saying absolutely i'd be happy to do that for you excellent choice no problem is not a good one we don't like no problem my pleasure sounds so much more elegant and more professional well once again we'll we'll have you back on joe yeah, we got we'll so much that. more to talk about with the country club and then we want to do a whole saga on the restaurant and get our whole family together and that kind of stuff but uh, so i feel like we always just like barely touch on the bakery every time it well, gets brought that up actually should be like a seven year long like <laughs> video uh conference pretty much or actually we should have done like a reality show we actually brought that up in the we, last episode yeah, yeah. we would be oh yeah Everyone would know our name and face by now if we had had a reality show on that restaurant. Yeah, because so. it's not like we're you know, we were acting or anything. And you no, know, it was doing just any- very real. It's just, just you're so with your family all the time. There was a lot going on with customers, and then you know you work with your family all the time, and it doesn't matter if you love your family or if you're just okay with your family. It doesn't matter. Even if they're your best friend, you're still going to argue with them. And we learned a very valuable lesson about know who you're going into business with, which I've talked to my students about time and time again. And that's a whole nother podcast that will probably last like three series. But you got to make sure that the people you're working with, especially if you're leasing a building from them, are going to be honest and forthcoming because you never know if they might try and swoop underneath you and take it from you, which is what happened to us. So, All right, Joe. Well, uh, as always, uh, it's good seeing you. And Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'm sorry it was so serious. Is there anything you want to add, Rachel? So I don't think so. I feel like whenever we do interviews, you just kind of take charge, but that's okay because I just want to listen anyway. You know? All right, well, cool. Have you guys eaten yet? No. We'll okay, because I'm hungry. We'll I haven't food. eaten anything, so maybe we should go get food. We need to and have yeah, a whole... Wait, Connie, come over here. Connie um, has been an absolute pleasure and sat here and listened to this whole conversation. Connie and she's a my, big supporter of our podcast. So, Connie, please say hi. Connie's my beautiful hi. wife. So, yeah, Connie is Joe's wife, and she has just been inaugurated into the family officially this past March. And that's a that could be a whole episode. I think we'll probably do a well, wedding series after our wedding, and we'll a talk wedding about series and then how COVID we met. weddings. Yeah, we and how you met. met at the restaurant. So exactly. we've got some stuff to talk about. So we'll sure. have a whole family relationship restaurant type thing but should, anyway we could totally do like a whole episode of wives of chefs yeah well and we can include brent and chris wives of chefs yes <laughs> exactly so well i guess well chris is chris is a chef chris though. is a chef we, so, we're gonna have him on eventually he's the executive but chef of a high-end grocery store you know steal joe for this past you know hour and talk and 
Yeah, we're happy. Well, to I also want to bring up too that the reason why Joe knows how to handle himself too in situations where there is blood in the kitchen is because Connie was a lifeguard, and so she got Joe enrolled in a first aid and CPR class and taught him everything that he needs to know. So Joe, you're a rescue certified thanks to Connie. Yep, I still need to probably re up my certification, but yeah, no, I can handle myself. I mean, I've actually it was helpful when I got into I didn't get into a car accident, but there was somebody that got into a car accident right in front of me, and I was able to potentially help them from hurting themselves but, or when someone know. slices their finger off and you got to be there and be like hold it above your head you know yeah, it's all hold about on to staying this. calm really you stop you know touching the blood right now and playing with it you know anyways well yeah thank you too for having me on i really appreciate it's been it our pleasure joe oh thank you yeah it was my <laughs> pleasure as well um yeah let's go eat okay bye everyone bye take care <laughs>